Hello, I'm Jennifer Yupa, a Littler shareholder and co-chair of the Women's Leadership Initiative. I'm here today with my colleague, Lee Schrader, former chair of Littler's Board of Directors and Wage and Hour Class Action Guru. We're here today during Pride Month discussing intersectionality. But before we jump into the topic, Lee, tell us about your background and how it's informed your thoughts on intersectionality. Sure, Jennifer, thank you. You know, I'm a second career lawyer. I came out of college and started in human resources and didn't become a lawyer until later in my career. I'm an out and proud lesbian, but that was not always the case. And I'm married and my wife and I will be celebrating our 40th anniversary together later this summer. So I am, I suppose, by definition, at the crossroads of intersectionality since I'm both a woman and a lesbian. When did you come out? So I came out in the summer of 1977 for the first time. I was 17 and that didn't go particularly well the first time I came out to someone. In fact, I was told in response that I was going to go to hell. It was a lonely time for me because I couldn't share with anyone how I was feeling And my girlfriend and I were terrified someone would find out. We didn't need to be told what would happen if our very Catholic parents found out. It was a crazy summer. You may remember Jennifer, 1977. I was in New York at the time. There was the blackout. Son of Sam was killing people. Elvis died. Harvey Milk was elected. Star Wars premiered. And Anita Bryant set out to save America from the gays. Coming out's been a long process for me. It's been full of fits and starts and even blind leaps of faith. My early efforts didn't go as planned, but those experiences have taught me two, I think, really important lessons. One, I could survive rejection, and it was my job and no one else's to define who I wanted to be and what I would do with my life. I've also learned, and this has certainly taken me time, that if someone can't accept me for who I am, that's their problem, not mine. Today, I've come to view my ability to come out to people as my superpower. It's made me a risk taker. It's given me the courage to ask for business opportunities, and it's even made it easier to ask clients for business. After all, what I've learned is the worst thing that anyone can say is no, And many actually say, yes, I can handle no. You know, there's a wonderful Buddhist cone I think of almost every time I come out to someone. It's fall down seven times, get up eight. And I've learned that coming out never really stops. I get to practice that skill on almost a weekly, sometimes even a daily basis. And for those people who are listening to this podcast who are themselves struggling with coming out, it actually gets easier with time. Thanks for sharing that, Lee. Uh, As you know, you and I started our dialogue about intersectionality a few months back when our Women's Leadership Initiative sponsored a full month of programming during March for Women's History Month. We discussed at that time the historical siloing of groups that support LGBTQ plus women and other women's organizations. What are your thoughts and what have been your experiences? You know, the past year and all of its awfulness 
has brought home to me both the importance of my own communities and the need to join with other communities in order to bring sorely needed change. I've also had the opportunity to witness how powerful it can be when communities, different communities come together. One area where, as you and I discussed, that I think there has been a missed opportunity and a lot of promise has between groups that support LGBTQ plus women and other women's organizations. We have so many common issues over which we could make common cause. Both communities share a great interest in eliminating bias, workplace discrimination and harassment. It's also important to all minority communities that we diversify the workplace and the boardroom. Pay equity still is something that we are all pursuing and has yet to be achieved. And it's something that between our communities, we have a great interest in. The past year has taught us about the importance of work-life balance and how things like a pandemic can get that just completely out of whack. And then finally, and again, the pandemic has certainly brought this home to me as I've watched colleagues struggle, are family and childcare issues. All of these things are things that the women's community and the LGBTQ plus women's community share in common. You know, joining with other communities requires education and it can also require some hard conversations. One of the first places we have to start, I think, is having difficult conversations within our own communities. For example, in the LGBTQ plus community, we've had to confront discrimination against members of our community by members of our community. Those have been difficult conversations, particularly with people of color and transgendered individuals who have absolutely been marginalized and gay organizations have not been in the past particularly welcoming. So too in the past, women's groups have not been particularly welcoming to LGBTQ plus women. You know, I came out in the seventies, I was living in New York and women's organizations were not particularly welcoming to lesbians. In fact, I think that has its roots in the seventies when people like Phyllis Schlafly sought to marginalize women's groups and the feminist movement by arguing that feminists were all man-hating lesbians in disguise. Hopefully, we've made some real strides since then, but we certainly have a way to go. In our own profession, Major Lindsay recently reported that male partners' compensation continues to significantly outpace those of female partners. The average male partner's total compensation is a full 44% more than the average female partner's. Lee, where do you see the legal profession going? I think our profession, Jennifer, is at a really critical moment. And I think it's particularly true when we talk about compensation. And it has a great deal to do with the baby boomer generation. You know, we're now seeing the largest wave of lawyers who will ever retire, at least to date, that is getting started. The American lawyers reported that 16% of partners will retire in the next five years and 38% in the next 10 years. 
Major Lindsay also reports that 40% of law firm partners expect to retire in the next 10 years. So we're at a bit of an inflection point because with all of these individuals retiring from law firms, there's going to be a transition in those client relationships and those books of business to the next generation of lawyers. I think that puts us at a place where if it's not handled well, we're going to perpetuate the type of differences that we've seen pointed to by the American lawyer and also by Major Lindsay. Alternatively, if we are thoughtful and we embrace this opportunity as one that allows us to transition books of business and client relationships with a focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think we have a real opportunity to change the compensation difference. You know, it it comes down to what we can do as a firm and a legal community to address some of these historical disparities. As you know, Littler has continued to drive toward greater diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our career advocacy program has been highly successful in increasing the diversity of individuals being elevated to shareholder by partnering our senior associates with some of the firm's most successful shareholders. Last year in early 2020, we announced a further initiative called Breaking Through with the goal of doubling the number of attorneys of color, women, and LGBTQ plus shareholders in the top quartile of the firm's compensation system over a five-year period. We've identified a number of strategies to increase those opportunities for diverse attorneys through focused business development, leadership and training programs, and the further access to client opportunities, which we know are critical. What are your thoughts on how we get there? You know, I think there are, Jennifer, there's so many things that I think we are doing right as a firm, but I think the legal profession overall and in and Littler as well, there's more room to grow. You know, I think when we're transitioning these books of business, whether at Littler or at other firms, it's not as simple as, well, we'll just plug in a diverse partner or shareholders, the case may be here at Littler, when you're transitioning those relationships. Instead, you know, the most successful client transfers occur when there's a handoff between the relationship partner and somebody who has been embedded in the client relationship for a number of years. So given this wave of retirements, if you have not started as a law firm to be thinking about these issues, it's late. And I think it's the things that can drive the kind of change that I hope these retirements will provide the opportunity for are through education, through embedding individuals in client relationships much earlier, being very thoughtful about that, both in terms of the subject matter expertise of the individuals that you embed in the client relationship, as well as interest areas and things like that. Managing a large client relationship requires a unique set of skills. And I believe it's never too early in an associate's career to begin involving them in those kinds of things. Things like 
How do you make for a profitable book of business? How do you make the relationship with a client and a law firm stickier so that the client feels that we understand their business and that we have the resources and the people to meet their needs? I believe clients can have a tremendous role in driving this kind of change as they have in driving diversity, equity, and inclusion in law firms in general. And I think the firms that are the forward-thinking firms that are paying attention to these issues really have an opportunity to, to be uniquely positioned to talk to their clients about their succession planning and why that's important for those clients. You know, I expect COVID and Jennifer, you and I talked about this. COVID is driving so many changes in the legal profession. And I believe that it's going to impact succession planning as well, because I certainly have heard of more retirements, not necessarily at Littler, but at other firms of individuals who weren't necessarily planning on retiring, but after a year of dealing with COVID and the practical difficulties of working from home have led some lawyers to really evaluate whether it's time to retire or they want to continue. You know, I joined Littler 15 years ago because of the firm's commitment to diversity. And I think we're doing a lot of the right things. And one of the reasons I joined Littler at the time was because I believed in joining Littler and leaving my former law firm that I would not just be tolerated, but I would be embraced. And that's been the case. And I've discovered how different my work life can be in a place where my differences are welcomed and the areas where I overlap with other individuals just make for a better relationship. You know, I think we can support and drive beneficial change within Littler and the greater legal profession by bringing our communities together and finding our common purpose and our goals, the places where we intersect, learning about the things that we share and our differences and agreeing that change is not only needed, but required. Thanks, Lee. I've enjoyed this opportunity to discuss how we can work together to push for advancement. Thanks much. Thanks, Jennifer.